Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Sally Lasky, NSVRC's Evaluation Coordinator, and on this episode, NSVRC Communications Director Laura Palumbo and I talk with Dr. Julie Sweetland, a sociolinguist and senior advisor at the Frameworks Institute. We discuss how we can reframe our messaging about child adversity to help the public understand and support our work to improve children's health and well-being. Welcome to the Resource on the Go podcast. I'm Sally Lasky with the NSVRC, and I have with me today Laura Palumbo, our Communications Director, and Dr. Julie Sweetland from the Frameworks Institute. Julie, we're so happy to have you here with us today. Could you share a little bit about yourself and your work with Frameworks for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, Sally and Laura. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to, to join you all today. My name is Julie. I am a senior advisor at the Frameworks Institute. I'm a linguist, a sociolinguist. So my research is focused on how language and culture work together um, and how the ways, uh, how small differences in language can make a big difference in social issues and in the world. And at Frameworks, each of us on staff are social scientists of, of some sort, sociologists, anthropologists, psychologists, et cetera. We bring together our different disciplinary backgrounds and our ways of studying issues to investigate the communications aspects of different um, social justice and scientific issues. And so uh, we share that research with mission-driven communicators like you and your listeners. So I'm excited to be here today and share some of that. Well, we are extremely excited. And Laura, I know NSVRC has been digging into the issue of frames and framing to help us more effectively talk about sexual harassment, abuse, and assault for over two decades now. Can you share more specifically what we mean when we're talking about framing? Yes. So um, a, a number of years ago, NSVRC um, actually began our work studying um, uh, studying framing with the Frameworks Institute and um, continued that work with the Berkeley Media Studies Group as well. Um, frames are like uh, train tracks for thoughts. And uh, frames are the, um, the uh, ideas, beliefs, and um, assumptions that, uh, that are kind of always operating in the background of our minds. And, um, and whether or not we know it, that is um, impacting how we take in information um, in the world around us. And so when we talk about how um, sexual violence is framed, it's, um, it's, it's really helping us to understand that um, no one is coming to the issue of sexual violence with a blank slate. Everyone has... Um, um, information and in many cases misinformation um, related to this issue and this topic that is um, really um, informing and, sh- and shaping how they understand the issue. And so when we talk about um, sexual violence, when we talk about sexual harassment and assaults and that um, uh, that these um, that these issues can be prevented, we um, we need to be mindful of what those um, kind of common frames are, those common frames and traps that people have in their 
um, understanding of this issue so that we can be thoughtful to, um, to help them uh, take in information that will help bridge those gaps. Awesome, thank you for that overview. And Julie, your work has been focusing on framing adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Can you provide an overview of ACEs and why framing ACEs matters to advocates and preventionists? Yeah, absolutely. So in the late 1990s, a landmark study um, conducted by the Centers for Disease Control and Kaiser Permanente, uh, that study revealed a powerful relationship between the serious and negative events in childhood that can happen to, to young people and their physical and mental health in adulthood. So that's known as the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study or ACEs. Um, so that study asked adult patients to tell, you know, tell the researchers about some potentially traumatic events that they could have experienced before age 18. And those researchers asked specifically about 10 experience, things like living with a, 10 experiences, things like living with a family member with mental illness or um, witnessing domestic violence. One of those was of course, sexual abuse. So that's my, maybe a particular interest to, to your listeners. So uh, based on that survey answers, they then looked, because uh, they were asking adults, they matched it up with their health records and looked to see how the number of adverse experiences in childhood tracked with a wide variety of adult health outcomes. And uh, they found some of what they found, you might expect, you know, people who had experienced abuse or neglect as children were more likely to have had mental health problems as adults. But other findings at that time for that time were really surprising, such as the realization that there was a, a real clear and graded relationship between early adversity and physical health. So if you had one of those serious events in childhood, uh, you might not have, you know, fewer observable long-term consequences, but if you uh, stack them up, you had four or five um, of those, then that predicted multiple, you, you were at greater risk for multiple health problems in adulthood and not things with necessarily with an obvious mental health connection. Um, so uh, people with four adverse experiences in childhood were four times as, or sorry, twice as likely to be diagnosed with cancer than those who hadn't had childhood trauma. Um, and the more adverse experiences people had had in childhood, the more likely they were to be diagnosed with asthma. So this was really the beginning of how science started to show us um, that adversity really gets under the skin and affects human biology. Um, and so that's why it's so important that this research be translated um, for the public, but also for public health systems, for child welfare systems, for, you know, if, if we can really make the case around this research, then we can prevent um, so much, you know, uh, you know, suffering for children, um, but really build a longer term approach to promoting health and well-being, reduce our health care costs, and, um, and really just have a healthier community. So that's why that research matters. Now, why the way we talk about it matters is, is also really important. So if we can prevent and identify and respond to early adversity, it's really impactful, but it can be really hard to talk about public under, to, to build public understanding and talk about these issues in a way that builds political will. So people 
you know, they, they may care about children as a basic, you know, they certainly care about their own children, but when it comes to, um, it's, it, when it comes to thinking about children as a policy issue, it can be hard to translate that concern into enthusiastic support for good policy. Um, there's a sense that if those things happen, maybe what kills you makes you strong and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that kind of whole sort of sense yeah. that these events toughen things up and they're not that serious. Um, and it's just hard to talk about prevention in general. Um, and so that makes these, these issues tricky. So um, I was really glad to have the opportunity to pull from the research that my colleagues have done on lots of these issues and, and really interpret that in a way that, that helped folks advocating for kids, I think, uh, make a more powerful case. Well, Julie, we're so you know, happy and honored that we get to partner with researchers and linguists like yourself to help us figure this out. We know that messaging is critical. And I'm wondering, you know, if you could share what some common traps with childhood adversity frames are. Oh, yeah, it's, so I think the, uh, the first one that's um, most um, tr can be trickiest for folks is the fact that this is about children um, and therefore it's natural to talk primarily about children and families. But if we give the sense that this issue unfolds entirely in the home, then people zoom in on household level experiences and they don't zoom out to larger social contexts. Um, and so we can't get that big broad public health approach or policy level response that we might want. The other thing is because many of the um, original ACEs, um, you know, were, uh, you know, abuse or neglect, um, it's easy to fall into bad apples framing or bad trigger, trigger bad apples thinking, the idea that problems are caused by just a few outlier individuals. I think this is particularly true when it comes to framing sexual abuse and sexual violence. We don't like to think of that as a broadly um, possible um, experience, but we but it's, it's much easier to think of it as a, a, you know, the story of that type of abuse starts and ends with quote unquote sick people. Um, we, so there, that's a trap. And we, if we just talk about kind of perpetrators and victims, we, we really close the door on prevention. People think we can't change those kinds of people. And so instead we need to, to leave people with the story that you know, um, the story is set in society and the plot involves us all, right? Not just those people. Um, the other one is fatalism, I think. Um, if we trap, if we fall into the trap of fatalism, if we trigger thinking that it's impossible to do anything to improve the situation, um, then we leave people with the sense that it's too big to fix and people turn away. So it's really important that we thread the kind of hit, hit this delicate balance between helping people understand that early childhood experiences can have and often do have serious and long-term consequences, but also that prevention and response are available to us and we don't have to experience those consequences either as individuals or broadly as a society. Now, a lot of those, um, a lot of those traps really resonate with what we saw in um, in in similar research on 
issues of sexual harassment, assault, and abuse. Um, it, in fact, we use the same language of bad apples <laughs> in talking about this frame that people have about people who commit um, sexual harassment and abuse. This, um, you know, the, this um, really othering belief that um, sexual uh, abuse is committed by people who, um, uh, you know, we would we would be able to um, see that they weren't trustworthy, that they're um, in some way a monster, um, and that those those othering people um, uh, are are who we need to worry about and who um, uh, who pose a threat to um, our our safety and well-being. Um, it's also um, interesting to see how um, that fatalism and determinism came up uh, as as traps when it uh, comes to talking about. Um, adverse child experiences, because we found similarly that um, with issues of, of sexual assault, it, um, it that many uh, many audiences did feel like that these are just, you know, um, these are it, it's inevitable. These are isolated, terrible instances that it's going, um, you know, that, that these uh, that it that um, you know that there's nothing that can be done. Um, uh, to change the, the the fact that sexual assault and abuse happen, um, and so it seems like a lot of those um, a lot of those same traps around you know thinking about the the individual and or family versus thinking about that um, role that society plays, as well as um, the, um, the the difficulty that people have in um, in, in believing that um, that change is possible, that prevention is possible, um, and that a problem, even of such um, a significant scope, um, uh, can there can be um, you know meaningful change um, enacted. And um, it was interesting to see some of the tips in the report that talk about ways to um, to help people with that. Um, um, with that disbelief, um, can you can you talk to us more about ways we can bring prevention to life and um, and overcome some of those barriers? Yeah, I think it's really critical um, to to get that we bring prevention into sharper focus for people. Um, you know, we value the idea of prevention as a society. We've got you know aphorisms like "a stitch in time saves nine, and an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But when it comes to um, social issues, people tend to think of prevention as an individual level behavior, right? You knowing what to do to protect yourself, your child, your family. And of course, we want to make that knowledge widely available to people. Absolutely. But we also need, um, you know, preventative systems and strategies. And it's really genuinely hard for people to understand, right? Prevention's effects are abstract and absent even. It's a problem that didn't happen. Um, and the effort that it involves, you know, kind of goes against the, the grain of the human brain. We've got a built-in tendency, you know, evolutionarily to prefer rewards now over delayed benefits. And that's how prevention works, right? The, the later pri the prize is later. Um, so we can, the good news is that we can help short circuit some of those hardwired cognitive um, train tracks, as you put it earlier, that make us less likely to act on a problem before it occurs. Sometimes it's, it's very simple things like replacing our bland um, process verbs that we tend to use in grant proposals or logic models um, with more vivid action verbs when we're talking to the public. So 
instead of slow and gentle and indirect processes like ensuring good outcomes or encouraging, um, you know, greater awareness or educating families and children on um, how to resist and, and spot, you know, uh, uh, indirect, uh, inappropriate sexual po- uh, contact. So those are very, um, you know, ensuring, encouraging, educating, those are kind of slow and they're not time bound. We can change those to things that are more lively and direct and, and kind of have a, uh, you know, more muscles in them um, as you are working. So tackling the issue or equipping um, families and children or launching, right, um, efforts to, to broaden awareness. So just getting more vivid. Um, really people, helping people understand the prevention, focusing on the here and now, not to say the problem is so big, therefore we need to present it, but what are we, what can we do here and now uh, that will have a payoff later, but really emphasizing the, the, again, the contemporary time to help people, to help focus people's attention on the present, which is where our brains like to go. And so we can signal that prevention is in progress by using when words, you know, adverbs and adverbials like now, right now, currently, today, um, and then really showing, showing the futures that we create by our choice to act or not to act. So that can either be giving, you know, that can involve giving concrete examples of what prevention activities look like in progress, um, but also helping people understand that when we do this, you know, we get this benefit later. And if we fail to do this right now, we are going to see a different type of outcome and one that we don't want. So those are, are some of the um, linguistic things you can do to bring the concept of prevention to life, to, which can really help to mobilize and motivate preventative action. Julie, that was fantastic. I feel like I already have some really practical things that I could put into practice today to use, but I know there's so much more um, that we have to learn. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to hold some of that great information and we're going to do a part two. So in our next episode, uh, we will continue this great conversation and discuss ways that we can frame child adversity as a problem we can can prevent at the community level. So I just wanna thank you, Julie, and thank you, Laura, for bringing your expertise into this foundational discussion. And we will jump into some more specific recommendations in part two. Thank you for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. To learn more about the Reframing Childhood Adversity Promoting Upstream Approaches report, watch for our next podcast episode, download the report in our show notes at www.nsvrc.org podcasts or visit frameworksinstitute.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at msvrc.org.